Good evening, family. My name is Chun. I'm the uh, Korean pastor here, leading the Korean congregation here. How I usually preach week to week is I would speak something in English and I'll translate that to Korean, so I'll go back and forth. I don't plan to do that here tonight because most of you don't understand Korean. <laughs> But if I do, because that's how I do it every time, and I bust out my Korean to you, feel free to bust out your Google Translator <laughs> or the Holy Spirit Translator so you could understand. But I'm honored to be your family, and we're honored to be here worshiping with you. Um, I want to share a word from you from 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 24 to 25. And we're going to talk about how the Father, the gospel of Jesus Christ, changes our everything, our entire lives. Not just Wednesdays when we worship, not just Sundays, but our Monday to Sunday. So I want to read from 2 Samuel 12, 12 24-25. Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba, and he went into her and lay with her. She gave birth to a son, and they named him Solomon. The Lord loved him, and because the Lord loved him, he sent word through Nathan the prophet to name him Jedidiah. Let's pray. Father, we lift up this time to you, and whenever we open up your word, as Paul has asked us to pray, we will pray that, Lord. That it's not the wisdom of men, but the demonstration of the Spirit and the power of the Spirit to speak into our lives and move. It is in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. When the Holy Spirit works in our lives and the gospel works really in our lives, he and the gospel changes everything. Not just Sundays when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, when we're worshiping, when we have our best church self on. Not on Wednesday nights or not some other nights when someone's looking at you, but every day of our lives, in our most intimate moments and private moments. That's when the Holy Spirit starts to work in our lives. He changes everything, our every day. For five years, I had the privilege to work with, work with a children's home, um, or orphanage if we could call it, in, in Florida. For five years every summer, we would go and they would minister. We get to minister with two different groups of children. First groups of children were children who were neglected or abused within the local community. So they'll need protection because they're minors. And the second group of children are what they call unaccompanied alien children. They come from other countries illegally. Um, some of them young, some being four, even five. And they would actually cross a desert over a month of hiking in the desert. so that they could find a better life and better food and a chance at an American dream. Some of, them would, some of them would hang on top of a train that is crossing into the U.S. so they could find a better life. Obviously, they would get caught, and because it is illegal, they are detained in the States in a humane way somehow for a few weeks to a few months. And, and we got to minister to them. We got to meet beautiful children. They needed Jesus and Father's love more than ever. Over the course of the ministry, we got close, so we got invited to their home where they were lodging, and we were really surprised because we think we go as a church to serve them and help them and maybe feed them. But we went to find out that their living conditions in that house, in the children's home, were actually amazing. We went in, and we saw a mini grand piano and a lot of instruments, including drums, and a great sofa, lazy boys, and a 
big plasma TV with the latest PlayStation and a well-painted and lit rooms, we were taken aback. Wow, that might be actually better than my home that they're living in. In the evening, we got to have, I got to have a chance to sit down with one of the leaders in that house, and I asked that question. We went to the lodging of these children, unaccompanied alien children, and some local children. I know we need to treat them well, but why do you go that far? And the leader told us this story because we don't believe in just feeding them or giving them a place to sleep, but we believe in the dignity and the love that Father has for them, and they ought to feel it. So they reach out to the local church and say, hey, this is what we want to do. We want to show the love. Not speak the love, but show them everything. They, we might never see them, especially the unaccompanied alien children. They might go back where we might never see them. But as long as we have them, can we infuse some love into their lives? And the church started to show up and they said, I'll paint, I'll donate a sofa, I'll donate a TV, I'll donate a PlayStation that my child is playing too much and I just want to give it away somehow <laughs> and benefit the kingdom of God. So all these things start to come in, instruments, and hence, therefore, showing the love of Christ because the gospel of Christ does not just speak, but it changes our everything. A minister, a missionary who reached into juvenile ministries, a young children who obviously made some offenses and, and illegal actions there. Now, he was reaching out to them as a missionary. And he came to different churches and he was asking this. He said, I want funds of $10,000 to buy computers for this ministry. And, and we got to ask the question, why would you need that much money for computers. And he said, he's told us this story. He said, we would reach out to those young people. Yeah, they made mistakes in the past, but we all have in some way or some form. They receive Christ, the Holy Spirit would move and they would walk out changed. And I, I can tell you for sure as a minister, as a missionary, that they walked out genuinely knowing Christ and wanting to make a difference. They would walk out and they would come back in six months to a year. And the question was asked, why? And over and over, the children would say the same thing. The teenagers would, the teenagers would say the same thing. We'd go out and no one wants to hire a teenager without much education who has a record as well. And, I, and some of them have children or family depending on them, some baby mamas, and they do want to feed them. They do have goodwill, but no way of finding a legit job. So what do they do? They go back to the drug dealing. They go back to the gang. They go back to the hood and do whatever they could to survive, and hence they're back. And he said, you know what, as a missionary, this is what I want to do. I want to speak the gospel to them, and I'm going to teach them computer language and programming because they, it's, that, that's in high demand because I believe in the gospel, not infusing words, but changing everything if we can as a church. Church, isn't that what you and I need as well? Not for us to just walk in and feel good and walk out. But for the Holy Spirit to show up in our everyday lives and change everything so we could serve him with all our lives. Though we have the heart, sometimes we don't have the means. And God the Father desires that for you and me. Not just to hear the message, but live it out and walk in that every day. That's what God does to David. He restores David's everyday life, daily life, not just Sunday life, but everyday life. I want to give you some context to David's life and the passage that we just read. Second Samuel chapter 11. Till then, 
David always, his spiritual life always walked in victory. Yeah, he had some wilderness. He had some struggles and suffering, but he was always having victory in Christ, and he was drawing near to God every day. And then this happens, chapter, second chapter, Second Samuel chapter 11, verse 1 reads like this. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, but David remained in Jerusalem. You know, in this, in this day and age, in Palestine areas, the kings would go to war in the springtime. Yet David did not. He remained home. He took a nap. He didn't go to work. He didn't go to school. He took a sick day, but he wasn't really sick. And then verse 2 reads like this. It happened late one afternoon. So he took a nap. He gets up. When David arose from his couch, he took a nap in a couch. How, much of us, how many of us have done that, right? You know something's a little, maybe, maybe sometimes a little off when you're taking too many naps in the couch, right? Because your bed should be, anyway. And was walking on the roof of the king's house because back in those days, king's house was the highest spot. So actually in the bathing house, were outside of the homes. So if the king would try to look hard, he could catch a glimpse of a woman bathing. So this was intentional. And he saw from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. Why wouldn't she be? She's bathing. <laughs> so David, you know, most of you know this story. So he commits adultery. He commits murder. He commits conspiracy and deception. And time passes, and there is a restoration that starts in the next chapter, which we were reading from. Chapter 12, verse 1, and the Lord sent Nathan to David. Verse 7, Nathan said to David, you are the man. This is like Pastor Jim knocking on your door uninvited. Oh, that's, that's, I don't know. I wouldn't, I'll be scared. I love Pastor Jim, but I'll be scared. But can I, can I, family, can I speak to you and say, may God bless you that way. That whenever you show up on Sundays or like this, may Pastor Brett or man of God speak to you every time you listen to the word of God. Because God speaks to you. He loves to speak to you. This is what's happening to David. Nathan saying, hey, I love you, but you are the man. You have committed sin against God. And verse 13, David says, I have sinned against the Lord. And this is great. And we all want this. Restoration and re repentance in our soul saying, God, I have sinned. I'm, now I'm going to come back to you. That's great. But hear me, family. Hear me, church. That's only the start. That's only the start of restoration. God is going to restore three more things in David that you and I all need. Because a lot of times church will play church and say, you know what? God has restored something in my soul. Maybe I cried a little. Maybe I came to the altar ministry. Or maybe you gave a little more and said, you know what? I'm good. No, God has more for you. He will give more for you. I want to three, three, share three things and infuse faith into your life. Number one, God will restore David's workplace. May God restore your workplace. Your workplace will be your office, your business, or your kitchen, or whenever you're nursing your baby at home, or whenever you're studying. That's your workplace. May God restore your workplace. I will read verse 29 for you. So David gathered all the people together and went to Reba and fought against it and took Remember the context of chapter 11, verse 1? In the springtime when the kings did not go to war, that's where David started to fall, wasn't it? Now he's going to take leadership. By the way, lead well, sign up going on right now. Quick plug in. 
He will lead and he say, you know what? I'm going to take charge. I am the king here. God has placed me to lead, so I shall lead. Take my man, gather my men, fight and win. His workplace is now restored as a king. Thus, the kingdom is now thriving. I was in youth ministry for a long time. I was working with a teenager, and, and he, he had a lot of pains. He, his personality in this, itself was, was kind of, I don't know, sometimes awkward and very unique. So he would get rejected a lot as a middle schooler. And then from there, he would have hurt. You know, when we have hurt in our past, you know, it doesn't just stay there. It usually goes into some kind of addiction. So he had some, a lot of different addictions. Any kind of addiction that he could get his hands on, that, that was his. He met Christ. Not only did he meet Christ, but in the altar ministry, he came out to me and he said, you know what, Pastor? He was crying, tears streaming down his face. He said, I want to give my life to Christ, and I actually want to serve this Christ who has saved me from this dirt. I want to go as a missionary. I want to be a pastor. And I said, great. But deep in my heart, I said, Lord, I'm not sure if he can be. And the Lord said, what about you? Oh, never mind. He can be. He's good. He's good, Father. He's good. Time passes, six months later, and he comes to me, he says, Pastor, I got to talk to you. And you know those feelings, mothers, you know what that feels like. You don't know what they're going to talk about, but you know it's bad. You just gut feeling, oh, this is bad. So he comes up, he sits down. From his pocket, he, he pulls out a wrinkled piece of paper and places it in front of me. Places it in front of me. I open it up. It's his report card. Oh, Lord. DDFDF. I almost lost faith as a pastor. Lord, what do I do? I'm, I'm, I'm a pastor. I'm a youth pastor. What do I do? And in that moment, the Lord reminded me to share my testimony with me. Because in my high school days, too, I was struggling with a lot of different things. And I didn't want to study. My, my, my worst class was biology. If you love that class, God loves you, too. Jesus loves you, too. But I, you know, I don't know if we can hang out for a long time. Short time, maybe. So biology was my thing. I just couldn't handle it. It was, it was tough on me. And, but I made Christ, I fell in love, and I said, you know what, I want to love you, I want to serve you, I want to give you all that I can. And I, because I didn't want to study, I would come back from school and, and the afternoon, I would throw, throw my bookcase or book bag somewhere, and I would sit down in front of the piano and just worship God, because I love worshiping God, but I didn't want to study biology. And I would be worshiping God, Jesus, and something weird and warm started to rise up deep inside of me. And that was heart and desire to study biology. That's wonders of wonders, family. That's a wonder to me. I don't know about you. I wanted to study, so I started studying, and I, st I had to contend. God has placed the heart in me, and then I had to contend with my efforts. And I shared that with him and said, you know what? You depend everything else on God except your studying. You think you need to lean on your, how disciplined you are to work this out. Why don't you lean on Jesus for your workplace? Church, can I bless you with the same message? That in your workplace, strive less and lean more. May God help you. May God draw you deeper because he does want us to excel for the kingdom of God so that his kingdom may be extended for your example through your excellence so that we may live well. Amen. Isn't that true? Amen. And can I say something to parents who are relating to this story saying, Gosh, I need that for my teenage kid. He or she needs to study. I've been telling them, and they just don't do the work. What do I do? 
Can I tell you and can I submit to you that what you need and I need, if you have a children like that or a spouse like that, who have issue in the workplaces and who need restoration, that you and I need to have patience. I'll say that again. Patience is key. Can I read verse 15 and 24 to you? It reads like this, 15. That Nathan went to his house and the Lord afflicted the child that Uriah's wife bore to David. And verse 24, then David comforted his wife, Bathsheba, and went into her and lay with her and she bore a son. Why, why do I read this passage to you? Because I want to give you a timeline. Before David restored himself in his workplace, how long did it take? At least two years because he had two, he had two children with his wife. So if that spiritual giant, David, the man after his own, God's own heart, took more than two years or probably more to restore his workplace, maybe your child or maybe your spouse needs more time. Maybe the Holy Spirit's working and you and I just can't see it yet. And us stepping in might actually ruin the process and make it harder and they might make it so that it takes longer. So why don't you and I start to be more patient Hear me, even if what we're asking God is right and good and is of the will of God, demanding our timing is arrogance. I'll say that again. Even if what we're asking God and praying for, for our spouse, for our children, for our family, or our future is right and good and of the will of God, if you demand your timing and my timing, that is arrogance in itself. I'll read 1 Peter 5, 6. Humble yourself there for humility under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time, humility and proper time, it goes hands in hand. If you impose your time on God, that shows you and God I'm just arrogant. I want my will in my time. And God is saying, no, you shall not. <laughs> I shall get my will in my time. And you say, God, yeah, you're God, and I'm just me. So, Moving on to second restoration. So first one was restoration workplace. Second restoration, work, restoration is restoration of family. Can you all say restoration of family? Restoration. Verse 24 reads like this. David comforted his wife Bathsheba. If you read the passage, please do go home and read this passage. This is amazing. Because this is the first time ever, hear me, that God actually writes in his Bible and says, Bathsheba, it's David's wife. So, so hear me, follow with me. So David and, and, and Bathsheba is currently married. They've been married for a long time. So legally they might be bound. But hear me, before God's eyes, somehow, even in verse 15, in that same story, God would say, Bathsheba, Uriah's wife, not David's wife. Oh, yeah, you might be legally married, but God is saying, you know what? I'm not looking for legality. I'm looking for your heart, husbands. Wives, I'm looking for your hearts. Because remember, when, when David first looked at Bathsheba, what, what, was he looking, what was he looking for? He was looking to find satisfaction for his physical needs. Bathsheba was an object for his desire, for his appetite. But look at the verse today. Now, what does David do? He comforts his wife. Isn't that good? David turned from saying, my needs, my needs, I need that, I need that, to say, you know what? How can I comfort you? Because you're suffering more than I do. Honey, you're suffering more than I do. You lost a child and you're the mom. I mean, I'm the king. You're widowed. And because of me. So he starts to have compassion on the spouse. 
You know, when the Holy Spirit moves in our family, that's what happens. We, we, have, we start to have desires to comfort our loved ones. Children, when the Spirit moves in you, it doesn't just change your worship. It changes your heart and how you look at your parents. And you want to comfort them. Oh, you really can't. But you want to. Oh, husbands and wives, you want to comfort them. You, still, you start to feel the pain of your spouse in a brand new way. The hurts that you never saw you could see. And you start to weep. How did I not know this for such a long time? They've been, searching for, they've been suffering for such a long time. And I said, I'm the man of God. I said, I'm the woman of God. Wow, Lord, forgive me for not treating your daughter in the right way, not respecting your son in the way that you would. You start to have compassion. May you have that in your family. May, have, may that restoration happen. There are so many studies over the years done about pornography, right? About porns and what effect it has. It doesn't matter if it's a Christian study or non-Christian study. One of the biggest study, most extensive studies that's been currently done would say the same thing. Extensive exposure to porn or graphic materials like that. You know what it does to a man's brain or a woman's brain is that mostly men, they will start to objectify women. David had that. God restored that. God can restore you. He wants to. May that come upon your family and our church. Third restoration that God gives is restoration of sonship. Restoration of sonship or daughtership. As a pastor, like all of our pastors and elders and care ministry people do, you get to care for people who have lost loved ones. And it's hard. You go to funerals, it's hard every time. You see a family member or brother or sister, you go to them. It doesn't matter. what You know this. It doesn't matter what skin color or race. You go, it just breaks your heart. But you know what's worse than you have nothing to say as a, or me as a pastor is when you walk into a room, into a funeral, and you see a mom who has lost your child. There are moments where I would go and I'd say, you know what? I'm the pastor. I'm supposed to say something. But I'll just weep and weep and weep, not be able to find my words, and I'll weep, I'll weep with them, and I'll just walk out. I don't know what else to do. And God would say, well done. It's good that you didn't say anything. Uh, Thank you, Lord, I guess. (laughs) You know, David just lost a son, didn't he, with Bathsheba. If anyone in this room has lost a child, may God restore your soul. He wants to restore you, but hear me, church. He doesn't just want to restore a son or daughter. He wants to restore a sonship or daughtership in you. Let's read the verse and and talk about what that means. Verse 24 to 25 reads reads like this. Then David comforted his wife, Bathsheba, and he went to her and lay with her. She gave birth to a son, and then they named him Solomon. And here, the Lord loved him, and because the Lord loved him, He sent word through Nathan the prophet to name him Jedediah, which means Jedediah means the most beloved. So God would say three times about Solomon, his son. I love him, I love him, I love him. That's the gospel, isn't it? What did Solomon do? What did Jedediah do? It's the same person. What did did he do? He did nothing. He was birthed and the mother did all the work. The child did no work. He just cried. But Lord looked at him and said, you know what? You didn't do anything, but I love you anyway. Isn't that the gospel, church? Isn't that your story and my story? Where it's not about what we did or what we've done. God will look at you and say, I love you just because. 
I love you. And in that short verse, he'll say that three times, and he would even name him, I love you. Wow, isn't that great? And hear me. It doesn't stop there. Think about what that means for David, the father. Jedediah or Solomon will be sleeping in the bed, and he'll look at him and go like, man, I love that guy. I could die for him. He's breathing is beautiful. His eye, everything about it is perfect. And God would speak to David and say, David, you know the way you feel about him? I feel that about you. I feel that. I know you messed up, David. The Bathsheba and the whole thing, I know you messed up. And I know you feel like your past matters to you and me in this relationship. But let me restore sonship to you, David. You are still my son. I still love you anyway. Because it was never about what you've done. It was never about how perfect you lived before me. It was always about my grace and how much I love you. How I have chosen you before the beginning of the earth, foundation of the earth. I have loved you since and I still love you. And my love for you won't change because I'm faithful like that. That is sonship. That is daughtership. That is what God the Father restores within David. May God restore that in you, your family, in our church. Before I close, I want to say three blessings. Parents, when you pick up your kids from 180 today or when you go home, may they be a Jedediah to you that you look at them and go, I love them so much. And God loves me the same way. So every time you look at your children, oh, they're pain in the, no. <laughs> the opposite. You go, I love them, and God loves me the same way. No, not the same way, but so much more. I'm getting a glimpse of how much he loves me. That will restore sonship or daughtership for you. Second blessing. As I said, if any of you in this room were listening online, if you've lost a child, God desires a restoration in you. It's not, yes, may God bless you with, the children, with children and sons and daughters, but so much more. May he restore you with sonship and daughtership, that love in your soul that you know is for you because God is for you. It's not your fault. God is for you. He loves you. Third blessing, as you get baptized today, may this not be a ceremony but maybe a moment of seal of daughtership for you. That you look back on this day and say, man, he has chosen me. His love will not change. Not because of what I did or not what I'll do. He will always be there for you. The gospel of Jesus Christ restores our daily lives, our everything. May they be for you and for me. In our workplaces, in our family, and lastly, in our sonship. Let's pray. Father, you're so good. (laughs) Your love is just so good. Man, you just go deeper. And and you know, it's not that you go deeper. It's that we just recognize it a little more. And we get to see how good you are. So we just worship you deeper every day. That's the privilege that we have of being son and daughters of the perfect father. God, there are some people in this room who needs that restoration So would you move and restore that? Church, I want to offer you a chance to receive that love. If you have fallen away from the Lord and you feel, if you feel like you're just so far away and you need that sonship or daughtership being restored, or if you have never confessed that from your mouth saying, Lord, I am your son and I receive you as Lord and my Savior because you died for me. 
right now is a great moment to do so. If that's you, would you raise your hand? No one else needs to see. Just raise your hand before the Lord. Yes, thank you. Anyone else? And just silently or in your heart or quietly, you could follow after me. Lord, I'm a sinner, yet you love me. And you call me as son and daughter by dying on the cross for my sins. So I receive your love. Thank you for making me a son or daughter. May I eternally walk as a son or daughter before you. It is in your name we pray. Amen.